As we uh, put the verses up there for the message today, I'm going to be talking to you about the fourth landmine. We've been dealing with landmines in the walk of faith for this is the fourth Sunday. And I'm going to deal with you today, talk to you today from the Word of God about a crucial landmine. Um, it's exploding all around us. It's called the landmine of deception. And I'm going to talk to you very bluntly today, very forcefully, straight out of the Scriptures about that landmine. I want to see you protected from it. And right before we read it, let me remind you, Wednesday nights we're on uh, teaching a series on sex, lies, and consequences. And this Wednesday night, I'm speaking on who's your daddy. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm serious. Because whoever your spiritual daddy is, is going to make all the difference in the world as to how you live. We're going to get right down and see what the Bible says about our sexuality. And boy, I'll tell you, don't miss it. It's been a great series. It's been very well attended, but very quiet. All right. So let's read what uh, the Bible has to say about the landmine of deception. I'm going to read first out of 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy. In both of his letters to Timothy, Paul talks about deception. Look what he says. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will, what everyone? Turn away. From what? From true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from where? Demons teach. Now let's look at the next verse, 2 Timothy 3. He says again, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, that's our day, there will be very difficult times. Evil people and imposters will flourish. And what will they do, everyone? Preach to me now. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Now twice he told us that in the last days there will be a, a great amount of deception. Let's read or let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Deliver us from the power of deception and help us to walk in faith. We thank you for the truth and we pray that today the truth sets us free in Jesus' name. Can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I open my heart to you. Speak to me. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you better perk up and listen so that you don't get deceived. Now, we've been looking at landmines the last few weeks. Landmines in the walk of faith. Real quickly, in summary, we've seen the, land, the landmine of offenses both towards other people and towards God can blow up under your feet and bring great damage. And if you miss those, I would get the CDs because i got to tell you, these are landmines that in 25 years of pastoring I have seen to be true in the body of Christ. And these landmines have got to be avoided. Have, we've got to learn to disarm them. And so the landmine of offenses. Then we saw last time that the landmine of condemnation is designed by the devil to pull you or push you away from God, away from church, away from prayer, because you don't feel worthy. That is a landmine, a landmine of condemnation. Now today I want to talk to you about another one that is huge in the church today, the landmine of deception. Now what does deception mean? Deception is very simply this, the, the practice of deliberately making somebody believe things that are not true. That's deception. 
the practice of deliberately making somebody believe things that are not true. Now here's how the landmine of deception works. It's a little bit different. It doesn't blow up when you first stand on it. It blows up later. The landmine of deception blows up under our feet when we begin to realize that we have believed a lie. That's when it blows up. When the consequences start rolling in. When we, like the prodigal son, come to ourselves and realize we've been duped. Anybody, anybody in here ever felt duped? You realize you got duped? The rest of you, you're in a bubble. You realize you've been duped and the results have been disastrous. That's when the landmine of deception blows up under your feet. The Bible clearly teaches that one of the signs of the last days will be an epidemic of deception. Now, I want to say that again. If you don't wonder, or if it's a question to you whether or not we're in the last days, let me assure you, based on Bible prophecy alone, it is very clear. Since Israel became a nation again in 1948, the hourglass of Bible prophecy was turned upside down. The last days began. We are headed toward the return of Christ. We are headed towards Armageddon. These are perilous times. Paul said that in 2 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 4. We are headed towards a cataclysmic series of events in this world. Israel is the centerpiece. And the Bible says that time period is going to be marked by a spirit of deception. Jesus himself warned of the danger of deception. When the disciples asked him, what are the signs of your coming going to be? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you, and leading you in error. For false prophets and false messiahs will rise up and perform great signs and wonders. And how strong will that be? It will deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. The deception will be so strong that those who are not rooted and grounded in the Word of God are in danger of being deceived by lies. Now I want you to understand today that deception is the devil's forte. It is his area of expertise. Deception. He is first and foremost and always and consummately a deceiver. His activity takes place virtually all the time in stealth mode. Jesus brought scathing denunciations against the devil and revealed his true character in John 8, 44. I want you to listen what Jesus thought about the real spirit being called the devil. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth anywhere in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks what is natural to him. For he is a liar himself and the father of lies and all that is false. Behind every lie uttered on planet earth, there is a lying spirit, a lying spiritual influence behind it. He is the father of all lies, all deception, all falsity. The Bible is so filled with warnings to Christians about the enemy's attempt to attack them with deception. Let me just give you a few of them. John warned, beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove the, and test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from God. For many false prophets have gone forth into the world. Paul warned, 
the Roman Christians, that false teachers were attempting to deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting and simple-minded people. He said to the Ephesian elders as he was about to leave them after having been with them for a couple of years, he said this to the the Ephesian elders. He said, I know that as soon as I am gone, I'm not going to be out the door when vicious wolves are going to come in and rip into this flock. Men from your very own ranks will arise twisting words so as to seduce disciples into following them instead of following Jesus. So he says this to them, and I say this to you today and to myself. So stay awake and keep up your guard against deception. Deception is knocking on the door of your house. It's knocking on the door of your mind. Deception wants to find a crack or a crevice in your soul. We live in a deceptive age. Paul further told the Ephesian church, he said, my prayer for you is that you would, quote, not be influenced When people try to trick you with lies, so clever they sound like the truth. Paul confessed to the Corinthian church that his main concern for them was deception. He writes, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from wholehearted devotion to Christ. He's talking to believers, blood-washed, spirit-filled Believers moving in the gifts of the Spirit. Those who had received the Corinthian letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians. He's saying to them, I'm afraid that you might fall captive to the deceiver that deceived Eve. John wrote, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now if it was that way in the first century, you think it's not going to be that way in the 21st century? In the last days? Paul was in the first century writing about this deception and yet he was moved by the Holy Spirit to say that in the last days it was going to be particularly bad. Now, I want us to understand something about the enemy of our soul today because he's, he's uh, attacking everybody who names the name of Christ and I want to say with that, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we've got to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. We've got to know the devil's tactics. Can I tell you, first of all, Satan is a master at the art of deception. There is not a one of us in this sanctuary today who could not fall prey to his deception if we do not do what I'm going to tell you in this message. He is not a silly creature with horns and a pitchfork, a a red tail and an impish grin. The Bible says the devil would win first prize at a masquerade ball. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness when they are not. He's a masquerader. And how does he approach us? The devil will seek to convince you that he is a very angel from God, a blessing sent to you in your hour of need. He is diabolical, he is crafty, he is deceitful, he's sneaky, he's intelligent. He's a schemer, a plotter, a planner. He approaches us in disguise as something good, something worthy, something logical, something reasonable. He appeals to our flesh, he appeals to our eyes, and he appeals to the pride of life. 
He will quote and twist the Bible with great effect to those who don't know it well enough to catch him at his game. He is the world's greatest advertiser. Mark it down. He knows how to sell. He packages his product so it seems attractive and appealing, while in reality it is deathly poisonous. Just ask anybody who has ever fallen prey to a satanic trap, drugs, alcohol, pornography, you name it. He dresses sin up in the finest wardrobe. And he convinces the simple and the unlearned and the weak that what he is offering will really take care of what they need. And it's always a lie. It's always a trap. In fact, if you were to meet the devil, can I tell you the truth? You'd probably find him attractive, engaging, and persuasive. Satan's history is that of a fallen archangel. He led a rebellion against God. One-third of the angels went with him, the Bible tells us. Satan fell, he was cast out of heaven, and one-third of the angels went with him who are now demon spirits, and their, their expertise, their forte, their profession is to deceive, deceive you, convince you that a lie is true. He began his sinister career by deceiving Eve, convincing her that God wasn't really on her side. That he was even withholding good things from her. He attacked the character of God in the mind of Eve. And she believed that God wasn't really for her. And, and, and some of you have fallen prey to that today. The devil is about to convince you that God doesn't want your best. He's making you ask, where is he? He's qu making you question the care and the goodness of God. That's the devil. His deception with Eve succeeded. We all know the story. The Bible says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, but it gave her no wisdom. It took away her walk with God. It, it, it helped cause the fall of man. And you know the rest of the tragic story. Believe me when I tell you that Satan wants his clients to see him as good, beneficent, and trustworthy. He wants his product, which is sin and rejection of Jesus Christ, to appear enticing and inviting. That's his product. Reject Christ. Go your own way. You don't need God. You don't need that church stuff. You don't need the Bible. When the devil approaches you and me, he seems sensible. Jesus, you're hungry, he told the Lord in the wilderness. You're hungry. You got the power, man. Make these stones become bread and feed yourself. Sensible, but wrong. Deception targets legitimate issues in our lives while, while offering an unbiblical solution to those issues. Listen to me carefully. Deception preys on our need for spiritual reality, for relationship, for financial security and other legitimate concerns. Deception preys on your hour of need. Deception lifts you up with promises only to drop you with bitter disappointment every single time. 
Now let me share some facts about deception in our nation. Deception is shattering the sound barrier in America. Consider a few examples in the religious arena. Now as I go into this, I want you to understand, I'm not attacking uh, uh, um, any person. I'm wanting to reveal the extent to which deception has invaded the church. Churches, along with whole denominations, are departing from the Word of God and embracing deception. They are fulfilling the prediction of Paul, who said again, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They're in the true faith. They're professing the true faith, but they walk away from it. And he said, what will they do? They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demon spirits. One denominational church leader writes these words, quote, Theological and moral apostasy is so entrenched in some places that many have concluded it's a fool's errand to seek to unseat it. George Barna of Barna Research Company and a March 30th, 2005 story I was able to get out of the Washington Post have reported the following results from polling Christian adults. Their answers lay out the extent of deception in the church. Listen to this. Among those polled, Christian adults, 64% believe moral truth depends on the situation. 64%. 60% believe that male-female cohabitation outside of marriage is acceptable. 55% believe a good person can earn his or her salvation. You can't earn it. Dude, if you live to be a million, you can't earn it. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. But look how deception has found its way into the church that ought to be preaching the truth. 44% of those polled believe that Jesus Christ committed sins while on earth. Now I want you to catch that. Can we have a wake-up call here today? I, I mean, I came to expose the devil. I'm going to preach Jesus up and the, and the devil down. I want to expose deception. And if you've got a son or a daughter headed off to college, let me give you some stats that will just make your day. I want you to consider our universities. Let me tell you about our universities. They have been so infiltrated by deception that they have become hotbeds, I mean hotbeds, for anti-Christian, anti-American bigotry and Marxist socialist philosophy. 67% of college professors polled approve of homosexuality. 84% of professors approve of abortion. 65% embrace socialist and communist ideals. 88%, are you ready for this? And, and we start with our children here in the church. We start with them when they're yay high because of the statistic that I'm about to read to you. We, we reach them with the Word of God when they can't even talk hardly yet. We put that Word in their minds. Here's why. 88% of students from Christian homes deny their faith before they graduate from college. Why? Because of what they walk into and what they're taught. It is deceptive. I've been there. I know. I have years and years of college behind me. Five years of secular college. 91% of students from evangelical churches do not believe in absolute moral truth. 
Now, if you ask me, well, how in the world did this happen? I'm going to take the blame right here and say the problem is with the pulpit. The problem at least begins with the pulpit. In the words of Pogo, the comic strip character, we have met the enemy and it is us. The real problem has been the church because the church is no longer teaching and preaching the Word of God. Do you know how rare it is to hear a message like this in our churches in America? Do you know how rare it is? It's becoming more and more rare. I believe when there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. When the pulpit is cool, the pews are frozen. American pulpits have way too often become dispensers of mild sermonettes to Christianettes. Preachers have become presenters of Christianity light. Cotton candy, powder puff, featherweight messages have become the norm while the church is reeling under the attack of the devil, devil's heaviest artillery. We need to be hearing messages from the Word of God. You don't need to know what I think. You need to know what the Bible says. We need the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and it's only the truth that will set you free. And he whom the Son frees, that's the person who is free indeed. More times than not, when you look at church services on the TV, you feel like you're at a motivational conference rather than a church service. We better get back to the Word, folks. We better get back to the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Bible, the Scriptures given by God to you and me, or the whole church is in danger of deception on one level or another. Consider this, and I'm not attacking people, I'm not attacking a denomination per se, but I want to just scan through some of the denominations and show you what has been happening. At the Episcopal Annual Convention recently, overwhelmingly it was rejected. They rejected a resolution declaring the Episcopal Church's belief in an unchanging commitment to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the only name by which any person may be saved at their convention. That statement of faith was rejected. Now to their credit, the Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth has said, enough! And they have followed the California-based Diocese of San Joaquin as well as Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Quincy, Illinois in disassociating itself from the National Episcopal Church which is not leaving people. It is a disassociating yourself from a statement of doctrine that is heretical. The United Church of Christ has set up a $500,000 scholarship fund for gay and lesbian seminarians and urged wider acceptance of homosexuals by other denominations. Now let me be clear about something here. I am all for reaching those who are trapped in the homosexual lifestyle, and I love them. But it's another thing to promote acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle as something biblically valid. In the Methodist Church, the Supreme Court of the United Methodist Church was asked recently to reconsider, reconsider the denomination's ban on gay clergy. Methodists. John Wesley would roll over in his grave. George Whitfield would stand on the highest housetop and preach John 3.16 till he croaked if he were here in our day. 
In the Presbyterian Church's 211th General Assembly, a person supporting the ordination of practicing homosexuals was elected moderator. And an ordained lesbian activist was presented a Women of Faith Award. Again, I condemn no one trapped in any lifestyle. If you know me, you know I love them and you know that I'm a restorer, first and foremost and always. You know that. But political correctness has gotten us so brainwashed when somebody like me stands up and says something like this, I am practicing hate speech. If my doctor found out I had cancer and didn't tell me, that's hating me. It's when he tells me that he's loving me. Are y'all with me here? Come on. And our prayers are for these people and with these people. But if the church gives up the truth, what do we have? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now I want to be clear about something because I can give you a real bad impression of the church today. Not all churches are bad. Many are holding true to the scriptures. We are, I guarantee you, if they come and shut our doors because we're preaching this, let them shut the doors. I'll find a field and I will preach this word. I'll find a field and I will preach it. And you'll have to stand there in the rain. That's all right. There are churches who are staying true to the, eternal, the doctrine of eternal judgment, Bible morality, and aggressive evangelism of the world. But there is, ladies and gentlemen, without question, an apostasy taking place. A departing from the faith once delivered to the saints is happening in denominations formerly known as mainstays of the truth. Now let me talk to you about the flood of secular deception just for a moment. You know, if I took all day, I couldn't cover all the different ways that secular deception is taking place. But I, I'm going to go where angels fear to tread, and I want to just talk to you for a moment as an example about talk show queen Oprah Winfrey. Now, I, I love Oprah, and you know, Kathy and I used to watch her every day. Long, long time ago, she says. Let me tell you something about Oprah, greatly talented individual, a wonderful way with people. And I take nothing away from that, but you know what, can I tell you, Oprah needs our prayers. In 2002, Christianity Today declared she, quote, has become one of the most influential spiritual leaders in America. Christianity, Christianity Today writer LaTanya Taylor said these words, quote, to her daily audience of more than 22 million mostly female viewers, she has become a postmodern priestess. A video called, quote, The Church of Oprah Exposed, end quote, refers to Oprah's viewers as the largest church in the world. Yet many of her Christian fans are growing increasingly concerned, and rightly so about her promotion of spiritual views that are incompatible with biblical Christianity. Now, the only reason I'm talking about Oprah, I could talk about a lot of different people, but nobody's got the audience that she does. And so that's why it's of concern to me particularly. In recent years, Oprah has gone from popular interviewer and very good one and talk show host to aggressive teacher and disseminator of some very anti-Christian teachings. I'll give you an example. For instance, Oprah does not subscribe to the view that Christ alone offers the way to salvation. She openly argues there are many paths to God, and her TV show guests 
and associates reflect this view. She has even argued on air, and I saw it, with several audience members who dared take a stand for the one-way message of Jesus, and her words to them were, it's impossible that he's the only way. Beginning January 1st, 2008, Oprah began offering a year-long course on XM satellite radio on the New Age teachings called A Course in Miracles. So we've gone from talk show host and interviewer to a, a spreader, a teacher, a disseminator of anti-Christian material to millions and millions and millions of women. A lesson a day throughout the year completely covered the 365 lessons from the Course in Miracles workbook. Now here's what those who emerged from that course Here's what they emerged with, a totally redefined spiritual mindset, a new age worldview that includes the belief, and here they are, and I pulled this right out of the workbook, that there is no sin, no evil, no devil, and that God is in everyone and is in everything. Well, that's completely against Christian teaching. Now, here's what Paul said to the Galatians. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be anathema. That means set aside. He expressed shock, and I have the same shock sometimes. He expressed shock at the Galatians for even giving ear to another gospel. Listen to what Paul wrote. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. He goes on to say, you're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. See, if you, if you believe that he's not the only way, that any old way will do as long as you have good intentions, then you might as well take this Bible, start with Matthew, go to Revelations, rip the whole thing out and throw it away because there is no New Testament. Listen, can I tell you the truth? Muhammad didn't shed his blood for you. Buddha didn't shed his blood for you. Zoroaster didn't shed his blood for you. Krishna did not shed his blood for you. There's only one who was sent by God to live for us, die for us, and rise from the dead. And it's exclusively Jesus. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying, na 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 we've got the corner on truth. I'm saved by grace. He plucked me up out of the pit. I'm amazed at amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't have any attitude that I know something you don't or have. Listen, my heart goes out. As a matter of fact, I'm not saying you should turn Oprah off completely. If she's interviewing somebody and they got a great story about life, wonderful. But when she does a show about religious, spiritual issues, buyer beware. Why not turn the TV off and pray for her? Pray for her. 
When you mix the flood of New Age mysticism with the pornification of America and the attempt to utterly, utterly remove God from the public square and the departure of so many mainline denominations from biblical truth, here's the fact you've got. Our nation is sinking into industrial strength deception faster than the Titanic. So how do we as Christians avoid the landmine of deception? There's only one way. There's only one way to avoid it. Are you ready? Grab your Bible and hold it up. Here's how you avoid the landmine of deception. There is only one way. How did Jesus fight the devil in the wilderness? It is written. Turn the stones into bread. It's written. Jump off the pinnacle. It's written. Bow down and worship me. It is written. The Word of God is the only way. It's the only way. The Bible gives us a two-punch game plan for fighting and getting victory over deception. And let me just tell you what it is. Listen very carefully. It says in the Bible, in Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, this is out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Now that little phrase, continue in, catch this, it's good stuff. It means, it means to stay in a given place. Like if I said to you today, now when church is over, I want you to stay in this sanctuary. Stay the rest of the day in this sanctuary. Continue in this sanctuary the rest of the day. Remain in it. You've got the same idea. He's saying those truths that changed your life, that you know are real. Now what have you been convinced of and assured of? Let me just preach it for you. You have, if you're a believer, you have become convinced that at the cross Jesus died for your sins. If you're a believer, you have become convinced that you are now a child of God saying, Abba, Father, and the Holy Spirit has filled your soul. If you are a child of God, you have become convinced that you're headed to heaven and not to hell, that you have been redeemed by the precious, spotless blood of the only begotten Lamb of God. If you are a believer, you have been convinced and assured of some things. He says, stay there. Stay there. I don't care who says otherwise. I don't care how popular they are, how charismatic they are. My allegiance is to Christ and the Word, not to a personality. The psalmist said, I shall not be moved. So, Pastor, isn't that kind of narrow-minded? Hey, if you've, if you've arrived at something you know is true, you don't need to go into other pastures. So continue. Can you say with me, continue? I'm going to continue in it. Nobody's going to move me. I shall not be moved. Well, there's more than one way to God. No, there's not. I shall not be moved. Well, there's no heaven. There's no hell. Oh, yes, there is. I shall not be moved. You're not a child. We're all children of God. No, you're not. You've got to be born again to be a child of God. I shall not be moved. Now, then he says... Not just continuing, but he closes with this. Then Paul writes, Knowing from whom you have learned what you've been assured of. 
And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Knowing. Continue and knowing. What's he saying there? Where did you get what you've got? Where'd you learn it? Now, if you, when you leave today and somebody says, well, where are we in church today? Well, our turning point. Well, who was preaching? Well, Pastor Jeff Wickwire. You know who's talking to you, don't you? So you say, I received a message about deception from Pastor Jeff. What he's saying is, never forget who has taught you what you know. And it wasn't a man. Not ultimately, but it was God himself who has taught us through the Holy Spirit. Listen to John here. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. You have received the Holy Spirit and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit, He goes on, the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what He teaches is true it is not a lie, so just as He has taught you. See, there's two people teaching you right now. I'm just delivering the Word, but behind me stands Jesus. As long as I'm preaching the Word, behind me stands Jesus. And in this sanctuary is the Holy Spirit. And I'm just a delivery boy. I'm just FedEx spiritually. I came in on FedEx. And I'm delivering you what He delivered to us. And so you're hearing from me, but there is another Spirit in this room, the Holy Spirit, causing your spirit to say, Amen. That's the way it works. So guess what? When you woke up and said, Wow, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. No man convinced you of that. No man says Jesus is Lord, but by the influence of the Holy Spirit. So who has taught you what you have been assured of, God. God. And what has He taught you, John says? He taught you to remain in fellowship with Christ. Just as God by the Holy Spirit has taught you, remain and continue in the Christ of your salvation. There's not another Jesus, there's not another Messiah. There's not another deliverer. There's not another Savior. He came. He died. He arose from the dead. And to Him our allegiance lies. And it doesn't hurt to get into a Bible preaching. If you're in a church, if you're visiting today, and you're in a, you know, I had a, a, a priest come um, just, re, I think, either last, last Wednesday night. He took me aside. I think he's Episcopalian. Episcopalian. He said, I got fired. Why'd you get fired? Because I stayed with the Word. His wife is here in this service. He said, I got fired. And they hired somebody who was liberal and rejecting Scripture. And he said, but you know what? I'm fine. And man, he said, I was here last Sunday and did I get blessed? 
Can we stand together? The line in the sand is being drawn, everybody. And you're going to have to make a decision. You. You. In your own life, you're going to have to make a decision. Is this my truth? Or is the way I feel my truth? Is this my truth? Or is my truth come from a personality? Is this my truth? Say something with me. Be true to the truth. And the truth will be true to you. I made that up. <laughs> it won't ever fail you. You can stand on the word and it will not fail you. Father, we pray for deliverance from the spirit of deception. We pray that you will help this church and those listening by radio and those that we've mentioned today, Oprah and these denominations and people all over this nation that have departed dangerously from the truth of Scripture. We pray that you will touch them, wake them up, make them a part of a great revival. Open their eyes and help us, Lord, not to be proud, but to be humble, bowed before you, thankful that you reached into the pit of our life and delivered us by amazing grace. Now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want to ask you something. Have you made the decision preemptively to walk in the truth of the Word of God? Do it today so that when deception comes knocking, you've already made up your mind and you're already grounded in the Scripture. And I want to talk to people today that don't have a church home. And you're saying, Lord, where are we supposed to be? And, and they say, well, how do you know? where you're supposed to be. You feel at home. Your spirit witnesses to it. You get a peace. And God just says, that's where I want you. The Bible promises that those who are planted in the house of the Lord, not just those who visit houses of God, but those who are planted in the house of the Lord, will flourish in the courts of our God. They will flourish. You can say, Pastor Jeff, we're looking for a church home. And we'll let you pray for us today. Would you raise your hand right where you are? God bless you and you and you.